Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are a part of our global family, uh, those of you who are online or maybe at one of our campuses. Uh, we're glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here. My name's Greg Surratt, and uh, I got here first. And uh, <laughs> I'm the founding pastor here, and it really is a, an honor for me to be able to uh, come and speak to you this morning. So, so let me ask you a question. Who or what has been the biggest influence in your life journey to date? I want you to think about that. Who or what has been the biggest influence in your life journey to date? So it might have been parents. Okay, parents are a major influence. I know, I think my dad's here somewhere today. Usually sits up there somewhere. And, and he, uh, I have the privilege of, uh, he, he lives with us. And uh, he's 88 years old. And uh, I, a lot of you know that I um, host pastors for a retreat. You helped me do that. I host pastors for a retreat. And uh, our goal is to help pastors live well and finish strong. In fact, this week, I've got a group coming in. I call it my old dude summit. I have a couple of them a year, and we get some older guys in to uh, paint a picture of what it could be for them and how they could mentor younger pastors. But my dad is a, is a picture of someone who has lived well, and he is finishing strong. He's been an influence on me. You may have a parent it was influence on you. Your spouse can be an influence on you. Your kids. How many of you make better choices because of your kids? Anybody here? Yeah? Okay. Friends. Uh, a coach. A lot of people, you know, point to a, a coach, maybe a, a high school coach or college coach that major influence. And I know we have many coaches uh, here, uh, major influence or a teacher. Uh, could be popular trends that have influenced your fashion decisions. I know I, um, a couple of weeks ago, flew down to Louisiana for a uh, funeral uh, of a friend who, uh, his wife had tragically died in a car wreck. And, and while I was at the, uh, I got there early, I flew in, flew out same day, so I was there a little bit early. And I watched people come in and I, I, saw, I saw a mullet. Uh, it's not a fish, it's a, it's a hairstyle. And... Uh, <laughs> I thought, well, that's an exception. And then I saw uh, four or five mullets. And I thought, who, who, who thought of that first? You know, I began to curse uh, Billy Ray Cyrus at that moment. <laughs> For those of you who are young, that's Miley Cyrus's dad. <laughs> Did they put up a picture of a mullet of a little kid? Yeah. yeah. That's child abuse. But they say it's coming back. It's coming back. You know, a lot of things can influence. The church has probably been the single biggest influence in my life. The church. Um, as I thought about that for me, it set the course of my life before I was even born. Some of you have heard the story. Many of you have not. But um, I was raised in church. And my dad, uh, one summer, uh, went to take a mission trip. Now, uh, my cousin is with me this morning. He's one of the old dudes at the Old Dude Summit and uh, pastors a great church in Orange County. And uh, his parents and my parents went on a mission trip 
we're about 10 years old, uh, wait for it, to the Bahamas. And uh, Bahamas needed Jesus, apparently, at that point. And so my parents dropped us off, my, my part of the family, in Rush Springs, Oklahoma, where my grandfather pastored a small church. And there's nothing in Rush Springs. There's one stoplight. They call themselves the watermelon capital of the world. It's not a capital of anything, all right? And so my grandfather, um, very, uh, he, he's a guy that didn't talk a lot. When he talked, people would listen. And so I was out in the, I can, I can picture it now. He's in his lawn chair and we're out in a parsonage next door to the church where they lived. And, and he began to unbutton his shirt. And he never did that. He, you know, he was a private kind of a guy. And unbutton his shirt all the way to reveal to me what was obvious, some wounds that were on his chest that he went on to tell me that somebody opened up a shotgun on him. And uh, later, he had a car wreck uh, when uh, we were living in Colorado. He came to visit, and they took him to the doctor, and he still had pellets from that shotgun uh, uh, around his heart and on his carotid artery, real close to killing him. And uh, he explained where that came from, that he was a bootlegger. In other words, he made his own liquor, and he sold it to people uh, in Oklahoma, and uh, including the Bonnie and Clyde gang and the pretty boy Floyd, who was from that area. And, uh, and a couple of guys were stealing his liquor, and so he laid in wait for them. And when he confronted them, one of them opened up on him with a shotgun, and he opened up with a pistol and wounded one of them, uh, actually crippled him for life, which uh, impacted my grandpa for, for his entire life. He regretted that. Uh, but he was a rough character. And uh, a couple of ladies came to church, or came to town to start a church in that little bitty town in Oklahoma, and it apparently wasn't going well. They, they were doing a revival, outdoor revival, and uh, preaching up a church is what they call it. We call it church planting. They were preaching up a church. And uh, so they began to pray for the meanest man in town. They thought if the meanest man in town would get saved, then it would help the revival. And that was my grandfather. And ultimately, he did get saved, him and my grandmother, uh, which was a miracle. It's, there's a whole miracle story to it, a whole miracle story to it. But on that same summer, when my grandpa opened up his chest, my grandma gave me a book, thick book, and said, read this, these are our people. Now, you have to understand, as a 10-year-old, even as a 10-year-old living in Denver, Colorado, I'd had to do reports at school on presidents and stuff, and my favorite president was Abraham Lincoln, okay? And the book was about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and the first woman ever hung by the United States government, Mary Surratt. And my grandma said, these are our people. You need to know who we come from. And so... You've got your grandmother telling you that we assassinated arguably the greatest president in the United States. And my grandfather saying he was a bit of an outlaw and Surratt's occupied some of the finest jails in the South uh, <laughs> West. And, uh, and, but, but here's the deal is because of a decision that they made, both of them, it changed the course of my life. And so the church was an influence on me before I ever was born. I grew up in the church. My earliest memories are in the church. My father, early on, was a traveling evangelist, and we would go from town to town. It's not a lot of that anymore. We'd go for a week or two weeks, and we'd live in a pastor's home 
Uh, and we go to church every night of the week. Every night we'd go to church. And uh, my, my mother usually w- was the one that made sure that we were behaving and she wasn't there one night. I remember sitting on about the first or second row in a little church in some town somewhere. And dad was preaching. Mom was gone. It was just me and dad and a few people that were there. And dad's preaching and he is a Pentecostal preacher. He is sweating and spitting and bringing the heat. And... <laughs> I'm acting up on the front row, and mid-sentence, he snatched me up out of the air and administered church discipline, just right there. Just, and uh, they'd call it abuse today. In fact, I'm in counseling as a result, but it's a memory of the church. I, you know, we lived in a basement of the church at one point. Um, I played in the orchestra in our little church. My dad pastored a church and on Sunday nights. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And on Sunday night, we had an orchestra. Now, that didn't mean that we practiced. We never did. If you had an instrument, they would say, come on up to the orchestra tonight. You know, just come one, come all. And as a little kid, I had a saxophone and then a keyboard and then a guitar. And, and uh, I, I remember one night, there were four bass guitars in the orchestra. You never need more than one if, you, if you're a musician. You know that. But I was watching the Elvis movie. Did you guys see the Elvis movie that, that, that came out? And Elvis grew up in a church just like I did, same denomination. And rhythm and blues came out of the churches. And the churches influenced not only me, but you also in, in, in some ways that you don't even know about. I met my friends in church. I, I met God. I found God in church. I grew in my faith in the church. I found my purpose in the church. I got my first kiss in the church. I found my wife in the church, and she's here, and that wasn't my first kiss, but wasn't nearly as good as yours. Yeah. (laughs) I buried my loved ones in the church, and I learned to make a difference in the church. I love the church. It's made a difference. It's changed my life. How many of you... Maybe you don't have a story like mine, but God has changed your life in the local church. Anybody here? Yeah, yeah, just all over this place. And so today, what I want to do, we're in a series that we're calling Strength in Numbers, and I want to talk about the church. I want to make a case for the church. There's a lot of people these days that are making a case against the church, and I want to make a case for the church, and I want to look at Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews encourages us uh, to place a great value on this thing we call the church. We gather together today online and in campuses and here in Mount Pleasant from a, a variety of different backgrounds, life experiences, ways of relating, and today we gather as the church with incredible potential for uh, uh, means and, and, and influence. And, and today I want you to see with fresh eyes the thing that's influenced more people than anything else on the planet. There's more resources. There's more talent. Uh, there, there's more of everything. There's more potential for good in the local church than in any government, social agency, or institution in the world. And that's why we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Would you agree with me on that? So I want to talk to you about why the church matters. Why does it matter? And we're going to 
read some scripture from Hebrews as the foundation of our study. Very simple study, uh, but profound if we'll put it to practice in our lives. I believe lives are going to be changed today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 through 25 to get the background. And we, when I say we're going to read, that means you're going to read, I'm going to rest, okay, because I'm getting old. And uh, I do three services uh, in a row. So you guys read, you'll read like a choir, and uh, it'll be great. And uh, so let's start, all right, here and in the, in the campuses. Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Let's read it out loud together. Let us hold. that. I love that, how you guys work together on that. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, let me give you three ideas. Here's the first one. Our hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Our hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's the only anonymous book uh, in the New Testament, but the early church fathers believed that it was inspired, and that's why it's in our Bible today. It's a unique book that uh, it, it is essentially a book with a lot of warnings in it. And a lot of times we can get sidetracked by that. This one warns us to make Jesus the center of everything. That's, that's the basic message of Hebrews. Let's make Jesus the center of everything. It's, it's so easy for us to get distracted uh, and make the Bible a whole list of rules. And really it's not. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson said, religion is mainly advice with a little bit of story sprinkled in. But Christianity is mainly a story with a little bit of advice sprinkled in. I love reading the Bible. I love reading it as story. And we're a part of that story today. And the Bible is basically a story about God who created everything, the mountains, the moons, the stars, the seas. But the prize of his creation were you and I. I was rereading that story again this week. On the sixth day, created you and I, the, the, the prize of creation. But we rebelled against that loving God going our own way. And God set in motion a cosmic rescue plan by sending Jesus Christ to live the life we should have lived and dying a death that we should have died. And then God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus uh, uh, is, is the one who began this thing called the church. That's the gospel. That's, that's, what, well, that's why we, we gather. And Jesus took a bunch of ragtag disciples and told them to go start churches all over the world. And they were ragtag. I mean, there were rabbis every, everywhere looking for disciples, and these guys were not in the first-round draft choices of anybody else. And neither are we. It kind of sounds like the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, our church planning branch. We, we, grab, we grab folks other people wouldn't, and we tell them plant churches all over the world, and they're doing that. So what makes the church the church is not the buildings, it's not the programs, it's not even the outreach. What makes the church the church is at its core, we all confess Jesus as our only hope in life and death. 
Church is bigger than Seacoast. It's bigger than any denomination. It's a gathering of everybody who confesses Jesus Christ as the core and the center. Because faith in Christ alone and through faith alone is why we are here. And Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says this. Let us hold unswervingly, say unswervingly together. He says, let us hold, get a grip, white knuckle. Hold unswervingly to the fact, to the hope that we possess. You know, there's a temptation every day to put your hope in something else. Would you agree with that? There's a temptation to put your hope in your own ingenuity, in your own abilities, in your own creativity, you know, in doing whatever it is that you do or making God's will happen. You know, we feel like we've got to do it. That's a lot of stress. Listen, you want to get rid of stress, resign as general manager of your own universe and let God be God. We put our hope in us. We put our hope in our career. And then when our career changes, we find ourselves hopeless. We put our career or we put our hope in a person, in a person. Let me tell you what, there are a lot of good people. But if you put your hope in a person, you're going to be disappointed. If you put your hope in me, and I'm, I'm a whole lot better than most of y'all. But if you put your hope in me, I don't want it to be that way, but you'll be disappointed at some point. You will, because I'm human. You put your hope in the government, how many of you know? You will be disappointed, all right? Look at this next verse. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. You put your hope in God. He promised you will not be disappointed. Another version of Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The word confession just simply means to agree with. And I know many of us probably aren't quite there yet. It's always that way here. But But it's the hope of our church that you would confess or agree with God that Jesus is who he said he was. Friends, that's what unites us. That's why we're here as a church. It's Jesus. It's about Jesus and nothing else. It's easy to enjoy the music. I love the music here. Love the music. It's easy to, you know, to, to take home practical messages, and those are helpful. But if you miss having faith in Christ, you're missing everything. Our great opportunity is not only to experience the blessing of being in the church, but to give our lives to the God who created the church. And I want you to get that. In fact, at the end of our time together, during response time, we're going to sing a song called This I Believe. And it's just basically the Apostles' Creed. In other words, it was a list of words that that the apostles down thousands of years ago said, this is what we believe, and it's been sung by believers and talked and and said by believers down through the centuries. And we're we're gonna, I hope you'll be able to join us on that. Our faith and hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Let me give you let me give you something else. Our love for each other is what we do in the church. Our love for each other is what we do in the church. Look at the next part of the verse. It says, and let us consider. Now All of us considered a lot of things before we came to church today. What did you consider? What should I wear? Some of you did good on that. Should I bring my own coffee? Should I stop at Starbucks or should I get it at 
wait in line at the cafe. Okay, you considered that. Should I scream at my kids on the way to church or on the way home or both? Okay. <laughs> Where should I park? This service, last week, there were five parking places. Five. You should consider going to another service. Okay. <laughs> there are all kinds of things to consider. The author of the Hebrews is challenging us to consider something else. Look at this. He said, now let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So, let me propose something. What if, what, what would it look like if we came to church thinking about how to encourage others? That's the whole reason we came in. You thought about it before you came. What can I do to encourage somebody else, you know? It's easy to have the wrong trinity in our mind when we come to church, me, myself, and I, okay? But there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, see? And the real trinity is about relationship. God the Father loves and serves God the Son, who loves and serves God the Spirit. They all love and serve one another. And that is a picture of what the church is. It's a reflection of this triune God. The Father loves and serves. We're to love and serve. The whole universe is based off of self-giving and other-affirming love. God is love. That is the DNA of God, and that's our greatest opportunity as a church. I want you to know this. We know that our country's polarized. You work in an environment. You go to school in an environment. You may live in an environment where nobody agrees with anybody about anything, okay? We talk tolerance, but we're intolerant of anybody who's not like us. That's the culture we live in. It's a great opportunity because when the church is the church, it is the antidote to that, and it will be attractive to everybody who's fed up with the garbage that's going on right now. It won't be solved by politics. It'll always be that way. But when the church is the church, we become a reflection of who God is in loving one another, putting up with. I get up every morning, every morning, every morning, and I read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. For me, it's not on your outline sheet, but it says, live up to your calling, Greg Surratt. What is your calling? To be completely gentle and humble. That's a tough one. And the second one is, in love, bear with, in other words, put up with people who don't act like you, believe like you. They're just wrong about everything. <laughs> I read that every day and do everything I can to protect the unity of the faith. Why? Because it's so important. Because this is the antidote to what's wrong in the world today. And that excites me. It's great purpose, great purpose. So how does that work at Seacoast? It starts in the parking lot. People like Dan Rosenson at the West Campus, I can name a ton of names at every campus, but campus here that rain or shine, they, they're out there, you know, smiling and waving and waving a little baton. When they really shine is when it is nasty outside, right? And uh, they, why do they do it? Because they love you. People who serve, Brad Jackson serves on the safety team in Columbia. We've got people on the safety team in every campus to help keep you safe and make this a safe environment. Brandon Burton serves on the prayer team in Irmo. Connie Skaggs gets up early and serves faithfully 
online campus. Gail Murray serves in the setup and teardown team in Manning. Every week, setup, teardown, serves. Jean Doyle serves special needs in the Somerville campus. We have a special needs ministry in this campus where people serve so that those of us who have special needs kids can worship God and have just a few minutes to ourselves on the weekend. Hundreds of people serve in children's ministry so parents can come and, exp and, and express their love to God. Here's one I got just today. Jimmy Roger serves at Conway, in our Conway campus, serves uh, to help keep the place clean. Jimmy's father died unexpectedly yesterday, and our campus pastor said Jimmy was there this morning blowing leaves off the sidewalk so that you could come to church and it would look good. That's love. That's caring for one another. That's spurring one another to good deeds. I woke up last Sunday thinking about this, or two weeks ago, uh, thinking about this. And uh, I wasn't preaching that weekend. And I just thought, God, what can I do to encourage one another? I began to get excited about that, just encourage people. And so I went and stood in the foyer, and this family came up to me, and um, they said, uh, uh, do you remember us? Now, that, that's okay. Uh, but please don't ask me, do I remember your name? That, that is not fair, okay? It's not fair at all. But they, they weren't into the gotcha questions. They just came up to me and they said, do you remember us? We were here like four years ago, saw you in the foyer. It was a real tough time in our life. Came up and talked to you. And you, something you said, word that you said, really sparked something that changed something in our lives. And we just wanted to say thank you. Now, here, here's what I was thinking. Praise God. I don't remember what I said. I don't. You say, well, you're a pastor. You should be saying good things. No, no, no. no. Let me help you with that. We are all in full-time ministry. Okay? Let me explain it. Some of us are in vocational full-time ministry, which just simply means I'm paid to be good. You're good for nothing. Okay, that's all that means. We all can be used by God and should be used by God. We're supposed to consider, consider what we can do to spur each other on. We're all necessary and important as a part of God's plan. I, I want you to see a small group video that kind of explains some of that. I just felt so alone. It was the most paralyzing year of my life. Thing about failed relationships, uh, I think everybody's experienced that. Um, friends and family are sympathetic um, up to a point, and then they want to see you heal because they love you. Um, but there is sort of no time frame on, you know, a broken heart. After a while, you just sort of go through it alone. In many ways, I moved to Charleston to run away from it, like many people do, um, because the pain was just so great. All of a sudden, I was a stranger in a strange land without any friends, without any family, um, you know, a brand new job, and all of these life events that just made everything so much more challenging. And then suddenly, there was a group of people who had been through similar things and were there to 
support me and to comfort me and even to cry with me. I've had many nights where, um, you know, they began in tears and they ended in tears and um, that's just the shape of losing something um, incredibly important to you. There were so many times where I just felt like it was impossible to wake up, you know, the next day and um, I just didn't want to. I guess it's strange to say that, but now that I've seen God at work and sort of the arc of his work when I was in it, I was like, wow, this is impossible for me. But now I look at where um, you know, my faith journey has taken me. After I found Seacoast and I found my relationship with Christ and I found my relationship with um, you know, these people who just um, allowed me to be who I was. While it's been so incredibly challenging in you know, this valley, I've come to just be incredibly um, comfortable with the work that God is doing in me. Yeah. You know, that's the value of a small group, and today's a great day find one. You can go in the foyer afterwards, your campus pastor uh, will explain a little bit more about how you can get connected. But speaking of foyers, foyers are a great place to practice what I'm talking about. Don't leave quickly after you're done unless you absolutely have to, but just kind of be a bit, God may want to use you. Start a conversation. How do you start a conversation? Hey, how long have you been coming to Seacoast? Okay. And it may lead to something. It may not, may not, but be available. Uh, God wants to use us because loving one another is what we do in the church. And uh, our faith and hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Let me give you the last thing, and that's this. Our meeting together is what keeps us connected to the church. Our meeting together is what keeps us connected. Uh, verse 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is, this is so important. It's, it's like, um, it's like I, I was thinking about, actually during the video, that our communication, during worship, our communication is like, kind of like a triangle. Uh, worship is led from here. It goes to there. It bounces up there. It comes back. It's kind of triangular. Right now, the conversation is one to many. Okay, one to many. There's not a lot of, you know, you're, you're not talking to me. And in the foyer, it's many to many. And the same thing happens in a, in, a, in a small group. And it's so valuable and so important uh, in, in, in our gatherings that he says, don't neglect that. Don't neglect that. You know, there are stats everywhere that, you know, uh, fewer and fewer people are, are going to church. But even within the church, there are stats that those who are committed to the church are attending less. Um, you know, when, when I was growing up, uh, you went to church 52 weeks a year, three times a week. Anybody else raised in that environment? We're not going back to it. Don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, unless you have, you don't miss church unless you have a temperature of about 102. And uh, I was a Pentecostal, so you couldn't even miss then because you might catch a healing at church. You know, we pray for people. And uh, if you're traveling on Sunday, you were expected to visit a local congregation in your denomination. There wasn't any skipping church or, you know, Church attendance was the barometer 
for spiritual maturity. Remember that? It's not, it is not the barometer. How many of you know people who attend church like three or four times a week and they're meaner than a snake? Don't point. Okay, that's not a barometer. But it's helpful. Uh, in the 2000s, they noticed a decline. A uh, long time ago, it quit being three times a week, began one, one time a week. And then in the 2000s, it declined to people who were really committed to the church were attending three out of four weekends a month. Pre-COVID, young families, those that study these, say that two out of four times per month, two People would come two out of four times per month. Now there's a reality to travel and youth sports and the blessing of church online. But no wonder, we're always surprised at Christmas and Easter here. This past Easter, there were 30, 36,000 people that came to church. Like, where did they all come from? Well, they've been coming, most of them. They just come every once in a while, you know what I mean? And that's just the reality that we live in. Uh, COVID has knocked church attendance down by an average of 40%. Uh, I meet with pastors all the time, and that's just pretty much the average. And, and they go, where's the other 40% gone? And um, a lot of folks have just gotten out of the habit. Uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So we get out of the habit. So the facts are, the less we attend, the more disconnected we become. And it's easy to get out of the habit. I'm going to talk to you for just a few minutes as the grand, grandpa of the house. Is that all right? Because I'm concerned. I really am concerned. Um, uh, and, and, and my concern is not about, uh, well, there's 40% less. Because there's not here. That's, this, we're, uh, if you're not in this room right now, I mean, this room is absolutely packed full. The other services are growing campuses are having more people than they've ever had before if it, if it was about us and people just coming to church my favorite time was right during the middle of covid when we weren't meeting because we would record on thursday and i had the weekend off it was great it was awesome didn't have to worry about your kids you know or finding parking places or any of that it was awesome if it's about me let me do it online but it's not about me it's about you it's about us it's about Bible, about what it says, because there are some negative consequences in, in neglecting this habit of meeting together. Uh, there are neg negative consequences in your spiritual life because you begin to be influenced by other things. That's not what you're trying to do. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Here's what happens. If you just, it, it, this just happens, it just happens. It's just the course of the world. You will be conformed by the worldview if you don't work real hard to be transformed. And yes, that's your own personal spiritual, that's your own personal Bible says all of those things, but it's also the gathering of the church or he wouldn't have said, don't neglect it. Okay, um, you, you find yourself more open to greed and lust, and anger and self-centeredness. There's a negative impact on your family and it can be devastating. Um, there are statistics that say if neither parent attends, there's a 6% chance kids will, 6%. If, if mom only 15%, if dad only 55%, that's the impact of dad's. If it's a two-parent home, mom and dad, 76%. I just found this just today. All right, put, put up on the screen the picture from Facebook. This is somebody in our, uh, did it come up? Did it go away? Is it there? 
You got it, okay. So I'm not supposed to turn around and look. It looks weird to the campuses. So anyway, uh, just giving you a little inside deal there. Um, the, the, uh, th this is somebody uh, in our Somerville campus, got her little girl, getting ready to go. Here's what she posts. Let's talk about church. They realize where they are, and God meets them there and fills them up. Little minds and all. They notice not only when they go, but most importantly, when they don't go. I needed to take a little break to try to catch my breath, so we've been tuning in online. And I thank God for online church. Although I got what I needed, they didn't. And today on the way to the park, the little girl asked if we were on the way to church. I said, no, baby, it's Saturday, and explained that tomorrow was Sunday, which is when we go to church. And she said, tomorrow, we get to go tomorrow? The excitement and joy in her question caught me completely off guard. Needless to say, my hiatus is coming to an end, and we're going to go back to church. Take them to church, Mama, even when it's hard and you don't have anything left to give. Wow. Wow. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because that only lasts about this long. It works, but it only works for about that long, okay? I'm pleading with you from the word of God. The emotional cost for people who practice faith but no longer attend uh, religious services. I've got all kinds of studies. I don't have time to give you all of them. Harvard uh, said attendance at a, a religious service at least once per week was associated with 68% lower hazard of death from despair among women and 33% lower hazard among men. Regular church attendance equates to less depression, lower suicide rates, less drug and alcohol overdoses. Are we all mature in here? Better sex. There are studies on that. I'm not going to get into it. Okay. Christianity Today said this recently. Empty pews are an American public health crisis. Wow. Seacoast, boy, we're unique. It's not the church that we started 30-some years ago. We are a global digital church that gathers online and also in a few buildings. That's really what we are. There are more people online than there are in any of our buildings. For those of you who are within driving distance of a building, make it a priority to gather regularly. Don't neglect it. Don't get out of the habit because the stakes are too high. For those of you who are not close to a building, make a commitment to regular viewing. And I would challenge you to do this. Find somebody you can view with, either in your own home or I know there are people that uh, uh, can be in three different states. I'm thinking of one right now. They're in three different states. They all attend the same service. And then it's like they, they have a Zoom call and talk about it. And just share their lives together. Get creative. Get creative. But let's not get out of the habit. Because too much is at stake. Too much is at stake. Why church? The church is God's plan A. It's why Jesus died. It's how we can learn to love. And it's the hope for worldwide transformation. So let's go back to the first, first question as I close. Who or what has been the biggest single influence in your life journey to date? Is the church on your list? Is it, is it in the top five? Every weekend, I think about the potential of our gatherings to change generations forever. I think about my grandfather and how it changed generations and how many people those people now impact. 
I think about my sons and my daughters. I think about my grandkids and a new generation of future world changers. That's the power of the choices that we make today and throughout the week. So what if we all took our next step in the church today? Some of us, our next step, our first step is acknowledging our own sin and receiving Christ's sacrifice and believing that he is the hope of the world. Others will commit to being more intentional about spurring each other on to love and good deeds. They'll find opportunities to serve. They'll go to the inside track to, to just maximize the local church. But all of us will make a bigger priority to be committed to being together as often as we can. I've asked the band to sing in just a few minutes as a part of our response time. The Apostles' Creed, basically. And we're going to lift our voices together with churches and Christians down through the ages, some who gave up their life so that we could have the privilege of meeting together. So we sing, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people here and online in various campuses. And I pray that you would just move us to make greater commitments to Jesus Christ, to make greater commitments to one another, and to make greater commitments to just gathering as a church. God, we're not going to let COVID or anything else water down what you're doing and what the church is about. We are going to be men and women who are men and women of value, who are men and women who are committed to loving one another and thus being attractive to our culture and to receiving your word. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 We're going to uh, respond together. How do you respond to a message like that? I want to tell you. I don't know if you can tell. I'm passionate about this. I'm seeing, I'm seeing churches all over America right now. And the impacts of, of, uh, of just all that we talked about. And, and I see people's lives. And I think this could be the greatest time in our history. And I want it to be. And I believe that it is. So I want to challenge you to, to respond to God by asking him just a couple of questions. Number one, what's God saying to you? And number two, how am I going to respond to it? For some of us, the response will be what I alluded to earlier. It's time for you to say yes to Jesus. To say, I, I don't understand all about it. I, I don't understand. You know, I'm, I, I, I don't fully, I've got a lot of questions. Well, I have a lot of questions too. But here's what I know. Jesus Christ is who he said he was. That he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And in that, I put my faith and my trust. And I, I, I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing today. Either in your seat, you can go to a cross. We're gonna stand and, and sing it out. Just confess that Jesus Christ is who, I believe that he's who he said he was. Uh, some of us are gonna make a, a commitment just to being together. Maybe you're just going to 
you know, in your own mind and you'll have a discussion with this or your family. Say, Let's just make a stronger commitment to being together because it's so important for our family. Others of us have friends, family members that we're concerned about. And maybe you want to go to a candle and pray and say, may the light of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit be in their life. Some of us need a touch from God in our bodies or in our emotions. And we're going to have people who are going to pray along the front. You can come and they want to lend you their faith. Others of us, maybe we're worried about something or there's an area of great concern in our life. And I challenge you, go to the crosses. Take a little piece of paper and write out what you're concerned about. Put it on and say, God, make a divine exchange here. I want your peace for what's concerning me. We're gonna go to the offering boxes and give or maybe give online. Most of us do that. We're gonna stand and sing and celebrate an awesome God who loves us. We're gonna receive communion. I almost thought, forgot about that. We do that uh, every week as, as the body of Christ. And if, if you're saying yes to Jesus today, this can be your first time to honor him with communion. And then we're gonna stand and sing and celebrate an awesome God. So what's God saying to you? And how are you gonna respond to him? Let's respond together.